0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at crossvillerevolution.com. So good to see you all here this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, Hope you get out of that food coma soon. Uh, But thank you for being here this morning, uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I trust that you've had your fill of turkey and dressing, and pumpkin pie, and naps, and football, and online shopping, and maybe another nap. And you're here this morning to refresh and reset before we head into these tweener weeks, the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, word of caution, don't let these next couple weeks fool you. They might seem calm, but you get into the second and third week of December, You're hanging on for dear life, just trying to make it to Christmas morning, am I right? And you make it to Christmas morning, and it all ends in a pile of shredded Christmas wrapping paper, and the kids are playing with the boxes that the toys came in, and not the toys. Can anybody testify? Been there, done that. I just want to say a special thanks to Pastor Josh for giving me an opportunity to be on the platform this morning. Uh, It's always an honor and privilege, but especially during this battle-ready series. If you've been here since day one of this series, it's been a barn burner so far. In the very first week, Pastor Josh explained to us that we're in a battle. It's not if we'll be in a battle or possibly you'll be in a battle. We are in a battle. And in Ephesians 6, Paul is telling us this is what you're going to need to be able to fight this battle. And he explains it so well, but I want to read our anchor scripture that we're using for this series up to the point where we're going to be today. And it's in Ephesians 6, and it's starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, The body armor of God's righteousness, which is the breastplate of righteousness. And for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. So that you will be fully prepared. So Paul is telling us to put on these three pieces of armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. And I don't know if you're like me, but I understand things better if I can relate them to something that I know really well. And I was trying to think of something to relate these three pieces of the armor to, and I landed on a sports analogy. And it's not football. There are other sports in the world, believe it or not, East Tennessee. It's a sport that a lot of people play around the world, and even in Tennessee. It's called baseball. And I was thinking of a baseball player, and when a baseball player is ready to go out and do battle on the field against another team, he puts on specific parts of his uniform that never come off through the whole game. He puts on his pants and his shirt. Baseball players wear a belt that keeps their shirt tucked into their pants. And he puts on his shoes. Those three things never come off. At different points in the game, he will take up different pieces of equipment depending on what they're doing. If a a baseball team is playing defense, the players go out on the field and they're wearing what? A glove. And for me, being simple, I related that to the the shield that Pastor Josh is going to talk about in the coming weeks. And when they're playing offense, they're at the plate, they take up a bat. And I related that to the sword that Pastor Josh is going to talk about in the next coming weeks. But he's telling us, put these three things on so that you'll be prepared. I wanted to talk about those words, so you will be prepared. The word prepared has a prefix, it's pre. And that means before. Prepared means to be ready for. So we're to put on these pieces of armor so we're already ready when the battle comes. You don't want the battle knocking at your front door and you're trying to put on your armor. You want to put these things on before so that you are ready and prepared. And I'm going to hit you with something that's a little heavy right off the bat, but i got to get it out of the way. I want to talk to you about something, and it is that if you are knowingly living in sin, or if you knowingly have sin in your life, you're not going to be ready for the battle. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but if you are living with your girlfriend or boyfriend and having sex outside the context of marriage, Or if you're married and you're having an emotional or physical affair with someone other than your spouse, perhaps it's that person in the office that just says all the right things. Or if you are struggling with an addiction in your life, whether it be a needle or a bottle or a pill, or if you're struggling with the addiction of gossip where you just can't stop talking about other people. Or if you are constantly... Bucking the authority systems that God has put in your life, whether it be your job or your home or your government, even the church. That's called rebellion if you're constantly criticizing the authority figures in your life. And the Bible says that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. So if you are knowingly living with sin in your life, you are never going to be ready for the battle. Because you're living in a lie. And the very first piece of armor that we have to put on is the belt of truth. But good news is, there's hope. All you have to do is repent. We have a Savior that paid for all of those things. Repent and turn and live in truth. And when you're living in truth and have that belt around you, that breastplate is tied against you, the representation of Jesus Christ on us. Don't knowingly live in sin and pass it off with excuses. Oh, I can do this. God is, God is love. God is love, but he's also just. Okay? Had to get that out of the way. Uh, I'm excited to be talking to you this morning about shoes. Shoes. Shoes is something that everybody can relate to. It's a part of who we are. I was watching you all as you were coming in the doors this morning, and almost everyone had shoes on. There's someone in this section right here about halfway back, and then somebody over here about three-quarters of the way back. Don't be looking around. I'm kidding. Everybody was wearing shoes, okay? It's just what we do. We get up, we get dressed, we put our shoes on, okay? Shoes are a part of who we are. The average American, average American has 20 pair of shoes. Yeah, and I hear some whistles and some moves. I thought the same thing. I thought, man, that's a lot of pair of shoes. Nay, nay. I went to my own closet, and I counted my shoes, and if I count work boots, and snow boots, and flip-flops, and Crocs, and tennis shoes, and dress shoes, and casual shoes, I have more than 20 pairs of shoes. It's crazy, and I thought, man, that's a lot of pair of shoes. Again, nay-nay. I went to my wife's closet. <laughs> Please, don't get me wrong. She doesn't go out and buy shoes all the time. In fact, I think the last pair that she got was a pair I bought her for last Christmas. It was a little pair of leopard print uh, slip-ons. Um, but when she finds a pair of shoes that she likes, she hangs on to it and wears it until it's not wearable anymore. In fact, last week she had a pair of boots she wore to church. Was it last Sunday? Wore a pair of boots at church last Sunday. and we got home, she said, I've got to throw them away. The heel is starting to come through the sole of the shoe. And I had to drag the boots and her to the garbage can and throw them away. But uh, I went to her closet. She has a closet that's just for shoes and purses in our house, all stacked up nice and neat. And I started counting, I kept losing track between 50 and 70 pair of shoes. Uh, but she can tell you what each one is. She knows them. All oh, that box right there, there's no markings. Oh, that box is this pair of shoes. Well, here's the good news, folks. In this physical world, this life that we're living, We might need multiple shoes for different occasions. But in the spiritual world, we only need one pair of shoes. And that's the shoes of peace that come from knowing who Jesus is. I do wear shoes for comfort more than for style. Anybody with me? I'm all about the comfort. I wear Skechers most of the time because they're They just come wide, and they're roomy, and uh, they fit me well, so I wear Skechers. But our whole society is inundated with shoes. We're right across the mall from a shoe store. You can stop in on your way home and pick up another pair, all right? But there's been movies that are written about shoes. There are thousands of songs that are written about shoes. In 1956, Elvis sang the words, Don't step on my blue suede shoes, see? In 1975, KC and the Sunshine Band, they said, I want to put on my, 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 my boogie shoes just to boogie with you. Impressive, right? In 2002, Nelly, anybody know who Nelly is? There we go. He wrote a song called Air Force Ones, which are shoes. They're shoes. And he said... These are his words. Give me two pairs, because I need two pairs so I can get to stomping in my Air Force Ones. Okay, so shoes, they're everywhere. I've got, some, I've got some shoes here this morning. Does anybody know what these are? Jordans. Anybody know what model? Jordan Ones, right here. Ding, 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 we have a winner. These are, this is one of our pastor's shoes, Okay. Uh, He got these because somebody gave him a gift certificate. He went to the Nike store and picked these out. He told me he's only worn them once. And when he wore them here at church, he wore a different pair of shoes to church, changed into these at church, and then changed out before he went back home. He said he only wore them once. They still smell new, not like corn chips. So I think he was telling me the truth. These were designed to play basketball in. pastor doesn't play basketball. In fact, if you ask him, he would say, these these shoes are for show, not to go. Okay, that's our pastor. That's uh, the Jordan 1s by Nike. My generation, anybody know these puppies? What are they? Chuck Taylors by Converse. I love these shoes. I've worn them so much that the sole is coming off the bottom. But I liked them because they're leather instead of the normal canvas. But back in the day, guys like Larry Bird, basketball players, this is what they wore, were Chuck Taylors. I'm not going to do the sniff test on these because they've got a lot of miles on them, all right? And I need to be able to finish this message. But specifically for playing basketball, I think I played a few times in them, but mostly just because I liked them. Uh, I wore them. Ladies, I did not forget you. These are Gianni Beanie Shoes. This is one of my wife's shoes. Uh, She has a name for these, and I wasn't going to say it because I didn't want her to be embarrassed, but she calls these, well, it rhymes with hooker shoes, Okay, (laughs) It does, I guess. Um, She would not wear these to go to the mall to go shopping all day long. She would not wear these to do laundry or do work around the house or go out and weed a flower bed. These are on the town shoes, okay? If you're going to a wedding or a party or a nice dinner, that's what you would wear these for. Shoes have a specific purpose, okay? Nice. Last pair. These are tactical boots, worn by our military or a SWAT team or law enforcement. And it's just my opinion, my opinion, Um, Somebody that would wear these shoes in the military or law enforcement or a SWAT team, these are hero shoes to me. They're made for going into battle, facing situations, any situation. They're lightweight. They're breathable. They lace up the leg so that they're on their good. These are not going to slip off when you have them laced on. They have traction on the bottom. And uh, these are most like the shoes that Paul is talking to us about this morning, the shoes of peace. Don't forget, on the bottom, good grip, good grip. And Paul, he's in prison in Ephesus, I mean in Rome, sorry. He's writing to the Ephesians from Rome about 62 A.D. And he's in a prison cell and he's got a Roman soldier that's guarding his prison cell. Why? Because he has been known to get out of prison on other occasions whether the doors just fell off, the chains fell off, they walked out. Um, So they have him under heavy guard, okay? And he's looking at this Roman soldier, and he's thinking, you know what? This Roman soldier and the whole Roman army, they are the best fighting team on the face of the earth. The Roman Empire was huge, and the Roman soldier was the best equipped soldier in that day. And Paul's looking in the physical at this Roman soldier. He's already told us about the belt and the breastplate, and he's looking at the shoes, and he says, how can I relate this to Christians so they know what they need to have on their feet spiritually when they're going into battle against the enemy? And I have a picture of some Roman soldier's shoes. They're like a lace-up sandal that is laceable from the front to the back so that you can put it on tight enough to just fit your foot. And on the bottom, they have these things called hobnails. And they're they're nails that are driven into the bottom of the sole of the shoe. And there's a specific reason for these hobnails. They're to help the soldier have traction in any kind of environment he's in. Not only are they to help him have traction, but they're to help him advance against the enemy when he needs to. And Paul's looking at these shoes, and he says, Man, as Christians... Christians need to be able to stand their ground and have traction in their life, and that traction comes from peace in our life. That peace also allows us to advance against the enemy and not lose ground against the enemy. And our shoes have to be like those of the Roman soldier, but why? Why? Why do we need to have shoes like a Roman soldier? I'm going to recap some of the verses in this sixth chapter of Ephesians. In verse 11, it says this. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Standing firm. In our life, we have peace on our feet. The peace that comes from Jesus. Standing firm against the strategies of the devil. He's strategizing. He is strategizing against you. He is strategizing strategizing to destroy you, your family, your loved ones, your friends. His whole purpose is to steal, kill and destroy us. And we can't walk through this life aimlessly just thinking, you know, kay sara sara, whatever will be will be. You know, I'll take things as they come. What's wrong with us having a strategy against him? So that we're able to stand firm. And when he comes against us, he's the one that's taken by surprise because we're ready for him. It comes from putting on this armor. In verse 13b of this same chapter, it says, Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Why? Not because of our ability. It's because of the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. In verse 14 it says this, Stand your ground and when I read this in this version of the Bible it leapt off the page at me because I've heard that term before stand your ground there are state laws that are stand your ground laws 24 states have them Tennessee is one of them and in a nutshell the stand your ground law says this if someone is forcibly trying to enter your vehicle your business or your home to cause you harm you have a right to defend yourself against that person. And Paul is telling us to stand our ground. When we lived in Florida, they also have stand your ground laws. And my wife, before we moved here, she worked for a sheriff's department that was one county over, it was called Polk County, Florida. And the sheriff of this county had a different take on crime and lawlessness and punishment for crime And these are his words, his take on stand your ground. If you value your life, Polk County likes guns. They have guns. If you try to break into their homes to steal, I'm highly recommending they blow you back out the house with their guns. (laughs) That's his stance on stand your ground and paul is telling us in this scripture stand your ground listen to me fathers single moms or dads if you have somebody that's under your care and you are their spiritual protection you better be standing your ground If the enemy breaks into your house and kicks down your front door, Paul is telling you, blow him back out the front door with your armor, with the power of Jesus Christ. If the enemy comes to kick in your front door, don't send your wife or your kid to take on the enemy because you're too busy watching the latest episode of Yellowstone. we got to be about our business. Fathers, husbands, single moms, dads, we need to stand our ground against the enemy and not give up our position. I'm not going to just let somebody kick in my front door and pillage my house. Somebody kicks in my front door at 2 o'clock in the morning, they are there for no good. And I've got some friends in my closet. They're there to help me. Their names are Smith and Wesson. And they got this really good friend. whose name is Colt. And I'm going to use my friends to defend myself against the enemy. Same thing in the spiritual world. We have things to help us defend ourselves against the enemy. We don't have to stand there and take pot shots and get beat up by the enemy. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you what, another soapbox issue right here. (laughs) Last one, I promise. If you're 50 or older in the room today, would you raise your hand? I'm there, okay. Uh, Possibly two generations If somebody were 85 to 90 years old they could be my parent so possibly the two oldest generations in the room this morning and I'm saying this because I is one okay I've heard it before and I've said it before that we need to take care of what God gives us but my bad is I was making that comment because of stains on the carpet or rips in the chairs or the condition of the sanctuary. See, we share this room with our student body at Rev. Church and with our young adults. And up to 100 kids come on Wednesday night to learn about Jesus. Pastor Brandon isn't there just to entertain them. They have fun, yeah, but he tells them the absolute truth about the gospel. And let me say this. If you're in that age group and you are more critical... Then you are caring, you're missing the mark. Our most valuable commodity here at Revolution Church is not this carpet, it's not these chairs, it's not the condition of this room. And I apologize if you're sitting on a marshmallow right now. <laughs> or you've been in a service and a tortilla shell falls off the light fixture and lands on your shoulder. It can happen. Everybody's looking up, there's none. We got them all off when we put the Christmas lights up. But if you are being more critical and you think that's the most valuable thing to us, our most valuable commodity here at Revolution Church is our young people. And if you are criticizing and not praying for them, you're missing the mark. We need to pray for them because the enemy would like nothing better than to pick them off one at a time and drag them into the world so they are ineffective for the the body of Christ can you put a value on a soul? Carpet can be replaced. Chairs can be replaced. Walls can be repainted. But a soul is priceless. Will you commit to praying for them with me? Yes, we need to. All right, off the soapbox. <laughs> so here, Paul telling put on these specific shoes. Peace. They're like the Roman shoes, so they have traction. What happens when you have the wrong shoes on? You can wear the wrong shoes. Uh, Back uh, about probably 25, 30 years ago, my grandmother on my mother's side of the family died. I was in Florida, they were in Missouri, and I had to fly up for the funeral. And time was so short that I had to wear what I was going to wear to the funeral on the plane, which meant I had my suit on, I had my church shoes on, went to the funeral, got there just in time, I rode with my parents back to their house because I was going to stay with them a few days. They live in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. We had to go up this gravel road that is all windy. And in the meantime, from the time my plane landed till then, we'd had freezing rain and sleet. And it was nasty. And we were trying to go up that hill to my parents' house and the car started sliding. My dad got it stopped. Being the youngest one in a vehicle, I was volunteered to get out and push. I still had on my church shoes. And as I got out of the car, I was fortunate enough to grab the bumper of the car as I slid by and hang on for dear life. I couldn't push that car for nothing. And it's been so long ago, I don't have a video of it or anything, but I found something on on YouTube that is pretty close to the depiction of that. If you can go ahead and roll that. Yep. This poor guy, he's probably heading out the door, going to work. He's already got a thousand things on his mind. Uh, Can you roll that one more time for me? I was wondering, what is the person that's driving by in the car thinking when he sees this person? (laughs) So, there they go. Uh, Wrong shoes for the condition. We got to have on the right shoes. The right shoes that come from the peace, from the good news. Now, see, the world defines peace differently than God does. The world has a totally different definition of peace. And I looked it up in some dictionaries. An Oxford dictionary says, Freedom from disturbance, tranquility. Webster's dictionary says this, A state of tranquility or quiet. Freedom from civil disturbance. So the world looks at peace and they think it's the absence of anything going wrong. I grew up in a house. I had one sister and we were always fussing and fighting. And I remember so many times my mom saying, all I want is some peace and peace and quiet. That's the world's definition of peace. But God has a different definition of peace. I was reading a book by Tony Evans about spiritual warfare. And he told a story, and I apologize ahead of time because I'm probably going to slaughter the story. So don't send me any emails or anything about that, about not being correct. But as good as I can retell it, there were two painters that were tasked with painting their best depiction of peace. And there was a $250,000 prize for whoever could paint the best picture of peace and they were given identical easels, identical canvases. They could paint with whatever they wanted to. They were given a certain amount of time to paint this picture. After that time was up, the judges came back, and they're looking at this first picture, and it's a picture of a lake, and it's so tranquil. There's not a ripple on the water. It's just calm. And on the shoreline of the lake, it's lined with all these evergreen trees and they're beautiful because the reflection of the trees is in the water, it looks like a mirror. And above the trees there were mountains, snow-capped mountains. They were just beautiful. The sky was a bright blue. There were wispy clouds floating through the sky. And the judges looked at this painting and they said, wow, that's good. And then they went over to the other painting, and from the top, The sky was black and ominous. And there were clouds that were outlined by flashes of lightning behind the clouds. And as you came down, there was a a line of trees that were just being blown all over the place. You could tell there was a ferocious wind blowing. And there was also a body of water, but there were waves on this water that were being tossed every which direction. And the wind was blowing the tops off the waves. And the shoreline of this body of water was large boulders and sharp, jagged rocks. And down in the very corner of this painting, there was one beam of sunlight breaking through those clouds, shining on one rock. And on that rock was a little bird. And you could tell by his posture that he was singing That is a depiction of God's peace. When all hell is breaking loose around us, can we stay on that rock and be that bird singing? And they gave that painter the $250,000 prize because that best described God's peace. God's peace is so different from the world's. Theirs is the absence of any disturbance. God's is... It doesn't matter what's going on around us. I'll give you peace. And it's not manufactured through us. It's a gift from Jesus Christ. The peace that comes from God isn't a feeling. It's not a feeling. So please don't confuse peace with happiness, relaxation, and rest. All of those things are good things, but they are not peace does that make sense the bible has many examples of peace in its pages and in order to make this sermon only 3 hours long i cut it down <laughs> to just a couple examples the first one being abraham abraham was promised by god to be the father of nations now there's one thing you need to be the father of nations that's children and Abraham and his wife were getting up in years, hundreds of years old. And finally, God came through on his promise and they had a son named Isaac. And Abraham's thinking, finally, I can become the father of many nations. And one day God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to go to that mountain and sacrifice him to me. Personally, personally, I would probably be saying, I rebuke you, Satan, because that can't be from God. But nowhere in the script does it say that Abraham lost control of his life. Nowhere does it say he was frantic or confused or questioning God. He took his son to the top of that mountain and he raised that knife and God said, stop. I know now that you trust me. Abraham was at peace. Because of the trust he had in God. There were these three young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as my children would say, to bed we go. Um, they They were taken captive by this tyrant, egomaniac king named Nebuchadnezzar. And this guy was such an egomaniac that he wanted people to bow down and worship him. And these three young men stood their ground. And they said, no. This ticked off the king. He said, all right, heat up the furnace. In fact, make it seven times hotter than it normally is. I'm going to show them who's king. And it says in the script that even the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that furnace, they were killed because of the extreme heat. And the king came and he looked in and he said, didn't we throw three people in there? And they said, Yes. And the king said, I see four. God, Jesus, was there in the midst of all hell breaking loose around them. And it doesn't say they were trying to find their way out of that furnace, they were just walking around in the flames. They were chill. Because they trusted their God, they had peace in their life. In John 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's going to happen to him. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to be mangled and hung on a cross. And his disciples are frantic because they're like, no, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be the conquering Savior, the Messiah. You're supposed to take this place by force. They didn't understand. But he's telling them, what's going to happen to prepare them and it says in verse 33 it says i've told you all of this so that trusting there's that word trusting me you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace he wants us to be that bird on the rock trusting him finding peace even when everything else is going wrong around us. But there's something unique about trust and peace. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. If we don't trust Jesus with our life, we're not going to find that peace. And again, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but until you trust Him with everything in your life, you're going to lack that peace that sees you through any circumstance. There's a scripture in Isaiah 26:3. And it says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, fixed on, set on him because they trust in you. Again, trust and peace go hand in hand. And if we don't trust who we're walking in, we're not going to have traction in our life through that peace that comes from him. In James 1, verse 2, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, that's us, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, troubles of what kind? That was weak. Troubles of what kind? Does that leave room for any other kind of troubles? It's all of them. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's a perfect picture of our society, right? When trouble comes our way, we're just joyful. (laughs) Usually when troubles come our way, we're on social media asking people, please pray for me, I'm going through this. Nothing wrong with praying for people. But God wants us to face these troubles that we have and be that bird on the rock singing instead of being frantic. It says in verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endure- endurance has a chance to grow. So when we face these things, God is trying to build up endurance in us. That first time that we face something, instead of running to everybody else, we run to that rock and we're praising Him in the middle of all hell breaking loose in our life. It builds up endurance in us so that when the next time something comes along, we don't even think about going there, we go to the rock. And we stand there trusting that He is who He said He is. Sometimes I feel like we're trying to pray away our problems so we don't have to face them. When God's saying, I want you to face this in me so that I can build up endurance in you. And you'll be strong. It says in verse 4, so let it grow. Let that endurance grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. Which that word means mature and complete. Needing. Nothing. we got to change our perspective on what we consider problems in our life. And when that thing comes along next time, say, God, I, I know you want me to grow through this. Help me be that bird. Help me to go to the rock. Instead of looking for pity and sorrow on Facebook. We don't need other people's opinions. We need the, uh, the opinion of our Creator, our God. That's the only one that really counts. Not that it's wrong to go to fellow brothers and sisters when you're going through things and say, hey, I know this is not the end of the world, but I need to know how to walk through this in peace. I need that traction in my life so the enemy's not pushing me everywhere and knocking me down. I need to have that in my life. If we were to look back at all of the pieces of armor we talked about so far The belt of truth, everything, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, they all point to Jesus. The belt of truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth. The truth, not a truth. See, the world would define truth as whatever you think is true. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus is the truth, our belt. Of truth, The breastplate of righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says Jesus has become our righteousness. Our right standing with God is because of what Jesus did for us. His name is written across our breastplate of righteousness, and it's in his power and authority that we walk in this Christian life, not our own. Try to do it on your own, you're going to get beat up in his authority. The shoes of peace. Isaiah 9, 6, and you've heard this at Christmas time. For a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If peace was a kingdom, Jesus would be the Prince of that kingdom. The peace that we need comes from him. It's not manufactured through us. It comes from him. And I've got three things that I want you to take away from this message this morning. If you don't remember anything else, please remember these three things. Every good thing that God has for us, the devil has a counterfeit for, including peace. If you ask the world to define peace for you, they'll they'll put it in a different phrase. They'll say, you need to find your inner peace and happiness. And all of the things that the world says that you'll find peace, they sound so close to the gospel. But they're not. It's either all truth or all a lie. If I had a gallon of water and put a drop of poison in it, would you drink it? I hope not. Be careful. Know the word of God. Because they'll try to fool you with words that sound close. And if you Google search inner peace and happiness... Go home and do it today. They're going to give you a list of eight things that you need to do to find inner peace and happiness. And remember, they all sound close to the right thing, but mm, three of the things that are on there. You need to spend time in nature. I love nature. Man, I am in my element when I'm sitting in a body of water, in a boat with a line in the water. I love it, it's very relaxing. But in Romans one twenty-five, Paul is telling the Roman church, he said, they've traded the truth of God for a lie. Man, could that be said of our society today? Traded the truth of God for a lie. They are worshiping the created and not the creator. God alone needs to be worshiped. We can enjoy nature, nothing wrong with it but that cannot be our source of peace. They'll tell you to meditate. And be careful with these things that come out of Eastern religion. They sound right, but there's just something that's not quite right about them. The Word of God, every time it mentions meditate, it's talking about meditating on the Word of God and His standards and His precepts. Not other things. They'll tell you another thing on that list is to love yourself. Those words are in the Bible. But between love and yourself, there's some other words. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love, here's the other words, your neighbor as yourself. Close, but not quite. That's the world's definition of peace. We can't buy peace. Peace is not available for purchase. And sometimes in our life we think, Man, if I just had this or that or this or that, I, I'd be peaceful. I'd have peace in my life. If I just had a, a bigger camper, we could go camping 16 weekends a, a year instead of 10. Listen, there is nothing wrong, ooh, that was close, nothing wrong with a camper. But that cannot be your source of peace. Because you know what? Monday morning's coming back around, and you're back to the same chaos that your life is before you left there's nothing wrong with having a bigger boat to enjoy nothing wrong with a cabin in the mountains but they cannot be your source of peace you can change jobs you can change friends you can change your location in search of peace but you won't find it because the peace we need comes from jesus christ and he can take whatever circumstance we're in right now and put us on that rock instead of being beat up and blown around by the enemy. Number two, things can try to get between you and your peace. Hmm. A little story. We have these two four-legged furry beasts that live in our home. And I think their names are on all of our deeds that we have, including the house and the cars. And they dictate when we get up, when we go to bed, when they eat. Um, But I have to take them out at nighttime before we put them in their cages for the night so that they can do their thing. And I have these old crocs sitting by the front door. They're camo, so I went full redneck on them. I usually wear them them in the two-wheel drive mode, okay? They have no, no traction on the bottom. They are totally worn down. So if you go by my house between 10 and 10.30 at night and you see me in the yard, yeah, I'm the old guy in crocs and socks, okay? That's me. So I take them out. And inevitably, when I'm taking them out to use the restroom, either a stick or a piece of a hickory nut will get in my crock. And it can be small, but it is painful. And I don't know if you've had crocks on and tried to shake something out of them. It doesn't work, all right? But that's, that's our peace and us. Things can try to get between us and our peace. It can be that guy that doesn't drive quite as good as you do. Okay? It can be that you have a whole cart full of groceries and there's one cashier open and there's 30 people in line. It can be anything in your life that tries to knock you off balance. But in my life, i found that the thing that most often tries to get between me and my peace is people. It's people. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus is saying this. He says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who, here it is, stands firm... To the end, we'll be saved. Good news, right? Everybody's going to hate us because of Him. Get used to it. In the message version of this verse, it says, You'll be hated by everyone, even your family, because of me. Listen to me, church. It's okay to set up boundaries with toxic people in your life. You know who I'm talking about. It's that person as soon as you're in their presence, your peace is gone. There's tension. There's craziness. And pray to God and ask him, say, what kind of boundaries can I set up to protect my peace from being taken when I'm in the presence of that person? It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's protecting that peace. Number three, and I'm almost done. Nothing can replace the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. If you don't have peace in your life, you don't have Jesus in your life. And I'm not saying you don't have him in your heart. You have just not let him invade every area of your life. Until he has all of you, you won't find that peace. Because that true peace comes from total surrender to him. I've given this illustration before and I'm going to do it again today because it speaks to me. I hope it speaks to you. Before I knew Jesus, I was like this. I had my whole life in, clutched in my fist behind my back. I had control of everything. And then when I met Jesus, to be honest, I went like this. I said, here, God, here's my life. I give you control. But behind my back, I still had things that I didn't trust him with. So when there's no trust, there's no there's no peace. And finally, the day that I let go of those things, those things mainly being my finances and my addiction, when I finally gave it to him and gave him all of me for the first time in my life, I experienced real peace because I had traction to stand against the enemy. He wasn't knocking me around like a punching bag anymore because God had control of it and I trusted him with it. One of my favorite life verses is in in Philippians 4. And it reads this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. All right, don't worry about what? But pray about everything. We get that backwards so often. So many times we worry about everything. And we don't pray about anything we got to get that right side up. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It will blow your mind, the peace that He will give you when you don't worry about anything but pray about everything. It doesn't matter if you got the worst diagnosis from the doctor. You're on that rock praising Him through the storm. It doesn't matter if you lost your job. You're on that rock praising him through the storm. And people, people will think you're crazy. Your own family will question your sanity because you should be falling apart and all hell's breaking loose in your life and you're praising God? Yes. (laughs) His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard your heart, the place where all your emotions come from. He will set guard over it like that Roman soldier that was guarding Paul in prison he'll say "Uh uh-uh not today he'll guard those emotions and instead of falling apart you find a strength in standing in him he'll guard your mind your thoughts where all those crazy thoughts come from where you go from a to z in no time when something bad happens he'll guard those thoughts because you have his peace and you're standing on that rock put on peace on your feet It only comes from Jesus. And if you need to have that peace in your life, pray to him and ask him to give you that peace. I'm going to read our anchor scripture one more time before we go. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, which is Jesus, so that you will be fully prepared. If, you're feel, if you feel like you're not fully prepared, if you feel like the enemy's been beating you up, have a conversation with God. Say, God, show me what I need to change in my life so that I'm prepared for this, this battle that I'm going to go through. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for these words that Paul penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to get us ready for the battle, not that we might face, but that we're going to face. Lord, speak to our hearts as we go today. Show us things in our life that we need to get right with you. Lord, if there's sin in our life, let us be at a place of repentance to a holy God and find our right standing with you. Lord, keep us safe as we go. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.